Welcome to Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve podcast, where you get a guaranteed return on investment of your time as we cut your learning curve with the information you can apply to your farming operation immediately. Extreme Ag, we've already made the mistakes, so you don't have to. Managing your farm's water resources is a critical component to a successful and sustainable farming operation. Advanced Drainage Systems helps farmers just like you increase their yields up to 30% with their technologically advanced water management products. Visit ADSPipe.com to see how they can keep your business flowing. Now, here's your host, Damian Mason. Greetings and welcome to another fantastic episode of Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve. We have a great topic for you today, and it has been all over the news for about the last 12 months. They're talking about fertilizer. We're talking about fertilizer issues. We're talking about supply. We're talking about whether or not we all know about the pricing issues. You're paying for it, right? If you're listening to this, if you're listening to this, you're in the game of agriculture and you know what it's doing to your pocketbook. But what what the heck's going to happen a year from now? What's going to happen six months from now? Are we going to even have the stuff? That's what we're covering today. We've got Brian Bednarik. He is the Risk Management Associate for StoneX Financial. StoneX Financial, a large global commodity trading corporation. They advise clients all over. Typically, Brian's clients are in North America because he's in North America. He's in their Minneapolis office. And then we got Lee Lubers. Lee is one of the founders of Extreme Ag, a South Dakota operator, progressive-minded farmer who also wants to make sure he's going to have the fertilizer he needs to do the job that he does, which is produce America's agricultural bounty. Okay, so we've been hearing about this for a long time, and I think, Lee, it's spring. We're recording this in the middle of April. Do you have the fertilizer you need for this spring on your acres in South Dakota? Uh, we do have our product, and it is committed. Uh, we have starter fertilizer in our tanks. Uh, our dry is partially on and the rest is at the retailer. And the whole reason that is, is because uh, we actually purchased it uh, late July last year. And then you've got everything you need heading to the, the field for spring for all the stuff you need. Now, the thing is, uh, we're all caught up in planting and we're all caught up in, you know, at, at planting fertility issues, et cetera. Take me to October when uh, you might start needing to do fall fertilization. Do you think you'll have what you need come fall? We're hoping. Uh, uh, Hope is not a business strategy. I was once told when I was uh, in a business conference. Farming is about hope. Uh, yeah, uh, we've talked to our suppliers and uh, they're indicating, yes, it will be there. The price variable, you know, now it's record highs. What's it going to be at? How are the numbers going to crunch out? And then with all the things going on in the world, war and supply related, is the product itself going to be short? All right. So, Brian, I got to ask you this. Lee has everything he needs uh, here. We're recording this mid-April 2022. Uh, is every farm operation in North America going to have what they need to go to the field and in way of fertilizer this spring? This spring, you know, I, I'm pretty confident we are going to have tons tons across the U.S. to get spread around. Um, you know, maybe see a little bit of some logistical issues coming up here, um, just moving product. But overall, I do believe that across North America and the U.S., we should have product available for the springtime. Okay, so you, you, don't see, you don't see any shortages for spring application from the desk of StoneX Financial? 
right now I do not feel that we're we're that short in the current market. Okay. Come fall, it's only six months until October. Crops start coming out uh, of the fields, and we start talking about you know keeping our for our fertility bank uh, where it needs to be, keeping our fertility balance. Fall prediction. Yeah, fall. I think there's going to be some product tightness, uh, especially across the P and K side of things. Um, when we're looking at a fall application, just phosphates in general, they're very tight in the globe, and potash is very tight as well with a very finite amount of producers that can produce large quantities. Okay. So you said P and K. Uh, why is it that you think those are the two that are going to be the problem? Nitrogen, a boatload of nitrogen literally comes out of uh, Russia, right? It uses a lot of fossil fuel to create the nitrogen, nitrogen for fertilization product. So why is it you don't see nitrogen having the shortfalls that you do among the phosphorus and potassium? I, you know, Russia is obviously a big player um, across NPNK, uh, just a huge player in the fertilizer market. And we're watching that situation very closely every day, looking for new updates. Um, but I, there's just a lot of other pr producers across the globe in other geographies, whether it's the Arab Gulf, North Africa. Uh, we just saw some new production come online out of Nigeria when it comes to urea. Uh, there's just a lot more origins that we can source nitrogen from as well as a very strong domestic production here in North America. Um, P and K wise, that's where we get a little iffy. We don't have a ton of phosphate production in the grand scheme of things in North America. And um, that's coming from overseas, Russia, again, a huge player, China, big player in the phosphate market. And then potash, again, that's Russia. But then we also have potash to the north up in Canada, um, but still just a tight market. Uh, Lee, what is it that you think you are, what are you concerned about being short on come fall? You said you got what you need for spring, but you know what? It's only a few months away until we start thinking about fall and you're thinking about it now, obviously, but you're going to really think about it come September, October, first frost. And you're saying, you know what? We've got some fertilization we can take care of here. What is it you're concerned about come six months from now? Uh, we want to make sure that we have our starter fertilizer for our winter wheat, our blend with, uh, you know, P and K and zinc and so on and other micros. Uh, we'll be trying to source all that here real shortly. Uh, we have part of it covered and the other part we're looking at trying to secure. So we'll be applying in September and October. Uh, <clears throat> soybean acres won't go on till next spring to the air seeders. So we need to get a secure supply this year. So we're ready for 23. Pricing obviously has been an issue. So from both people's perspective, one at the farm gate, you being Lee, and then one at the commodity trader, you're the fertilizer expert, Brian. Pricing, um, are we done? Is it is it run up as much as it's going to run up? From my perspective at StoneX, I think we still you know see some firmness in the market, um, even maybe come this spring. Uh, like I said, I think the nitrogen is going to be available. Um, it's just getting it to the right place for the right price. Uh, P and K wise, I think we still could see some, some strength in the marketplace. Um, but hey, hey, talking real terms, strength in the marketplace. Does that mean that the farmer like Lee is going to pay more? Yeah. Uh, strength, you know, higher prices is where, where we're kind of seeing the market today. How much more is Lee going to be paying? And you're talking about, come 
it might even be in the next month. Like you're saying that it, it, there's still price pressure right now. Cause he, if he doesn't have it locked in or if a farm operator doesn't have it locked in 10% more, 20% more. Yeah. You know, I think that that's fair to say um, nitrogen right now, we're seeing a little bit of softness in the urea market. Um, but we could see that pop back up to uh, $800 plus uh, New Orleans golf values, And then you tack on 150, 200 bucks to get it out to the farm gate across the Midwest um, phosphates. You could right now we're seeing, you know, retail values uh, in the four digits. We could see that continue to be the trend here through the summer and potash. We're looking at $800 plus wholesale values right now in the upper Midwest uh, we could see another fifty dollars on that another what? summer as well. Another what? Another fifty. Another fifty dollars. Okay, and I'm going to remind you, Brian, as I oftentimes have to do with you, pointy-headed commodity trader guys. You look at computer <laughs> screens every minute of every day of your life, and you get really wound up over one cent moves in in, in these markets that the average person doesn't see. Um, Eight hundred dollars. That doesn't mean anything to me. Now I know it does to guys like Lee because he buys stuff. But when you said it's eight hundred dollars. What what was it a year ago? And what when you say what the the appreciation might be, you know, you said we might add fifty bucks to eight hundred. So you're talking, you know, five seven percent jump. Is that what we're talking about in that particular product? Yeah, and from a potash standpoint, there, um, you know, last last year on this time frame, we were probably sitting in the four hundred dollar range. Um, okay. You know, two years ago, $200. Okay. So we were double from a year ago. We're four times from two years ago. And that's numbers that I think everybody can appreciate. And you're saying, does that mean that my food's going to go up double and then double again? No, because it's not the only component of food pricing, but it sure as hell puts a lot of pressure on it. Yes. Yeah, correct. Lee, are you paying four times as much for some of these products as you did two years ago? Uh, we lucked out. We were looking ahead and we actually purchased a lot last summer. So we softened the low considerably. You know, uh, we took the first hit incrementally, but the price increases since then we have not. Uh, we didn't do a uh, scenario as complicated as commercials will do on trying to hedge and protect, but we also did uh, some hedging uh, to help offset uh, price increases on fertilizer and we've we actually have a multi-year plan in place so we're using that uh, to offset price increase but still the sticky part is is supply the under yeah. so yeah so the thing is you, you did some things where you price it in but i'm hearing reports from uh the farm belt that say yeah you know what i can't get it bought i i can't get it contracted for a price because the 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 middle people don't want to get stuck selling something for under their cost. Is that a reality? Yeah. Yeah. There are people that I've talked to that, you know, waited and they're still waiting. It's time to go to the field and now they have to pull the trigger. So now you're going to pay whatever the market will bear, mm -hmm. you know, they know it's the spring push. And then also now you're subject to spot shortages, you know, trucking issues, all that. Then uh, that's been, I think some guys are going to actually cut pounds because of that, which ultimately can cut yield. Yeah, and also can dig into your fertility bank. I mean, if you don't, you only got, at some point, you know, you got you got to continue to put the stuff into the soil. Otherwise, you're, you're using up uh, your savings. Am I right? Exactly. And, uh, 
people can go, oh, I'll just skip fertilizer for a year and become organic. Well, you can't do that. You have to, it's a multi-year process to be certified. So, I mean, I've heard that comment too. And it's like, well, if you think about it, you can't do that. Yeah, it's a minimum of three years to become USDA certified organic. And there's a certain amount of, uh, you can't just even decide it. You've got to actually have credentials and, and have a, pro- a paperwork and process, et cetera, and inspections. Um, Brian, I've been hearing about this for a long time, you know, and I, and I see uh, it's everywhere. Gas prices, food prices, et cetera. And, then, and I understand economics pretty darn well. But I also know that if I have a chance to pass along another 5% bump because of all the issues. And maybe instead of 5%, I can pass along a 10% because it's really 5% that's deemed, but there's another 5% I can throw on and just wet my beak a little bit more. Is this gratuitous profit taking? Is that happening because there's an opportunity either at the retail distribution, wholesale, some level, even manufacturer says, you know what? We can make a whole bunch of money here. Let's go ahead and throw another 20% on this. Is that what's happening in some places? You know, I think there's maybe some opportunities where um, traders are seeing that as a viable option. Um, But right now, I, I don't really think we're seeing, you know, gouging per se, um, at across the value chain. Did I say gouging? You know what? Typical money guy, right, Lee? He's a typical money guy. <laughs> He's thinking about, yeah, screw him, screw him, gouge. I just said some wetting of the beak. That's a godfather term, by the way. <laughs> the godfather turns 50 years old, one of the best movies of all time, of course, 50 years old this year, and they talk about wetting their beak. It's not gouging. It's, hey, let me wet my beak. Are they wetting their beak to the tune of another 10 or 20% more than would really be necessary based on supply chain availability, et cetera? Yeah, you know, I, I think there's just a lot of factors that are really kind of move, getting the price to where we're at today. Uh, of course, from the production level, um, they have seen increased costs, but the price point that they're selling this product at is definitely outpacing those costs that they have associated with uh, with the production side. But you look at where they were two, three years ago, um, you know, they were they were right down in the red. Uh, so it's there's times where they have to make money, too. They're a business. And this is one of those times and the market's allowing them to do it. Right, right. And then there's the money side of it for Lee. He's a business also. Now he can't set the price of it. He can, he can lock in prices for his output, but he can't set the price. That's all market driven. Um, but he's got to look at what he can, what he can do in the middle. So from a financial standpoint, Lee, I'm going to ask you what you are doing. And I'm going to ask Brian, maybe what you should be doing. So what are you doing? First off, you already had your spring supply lined up. Now you've got your fall supply mostly lined up, but you don't have it in, you don't have it, um, in your facility, right? So the only concern is you've got fall stuff committed, but you know what? It's kind of like, uh, I'll, I'll believe, you know, checks in the mail kind of thing. I'll believe you when it's in my barn. I'll believe it when it's here on the farm. What are you doing for fall other than hoping? Cause I know you, uh, I know you joked, you joked about hoping, but I know that you are not silly enough to think that hope is a strategy either. Well, uh, we vividly remember the 2008, 2009 era. It was not, COVID issue then, but it was a huge economic, you know, stock market dump, a big reset in the economy. And then uh, that's also when the golden era of ethanol hit. And we remember fertilizer going urea from 400 to 1200. Uh, I mean, it it was just crazy on the input side. Uh, That was a year if you didn't try to protect yourself, look ahead. Uh, 
all the profit was taken out with the increase in inputs. And what, was the, what was the purpose for the two? By the way, Brian was 16 years old in 2008, I believe. <laughs> how, how, how old were you in 2008, Brian? 2008, I'd probably been about been 14 or 15. See, I, I, I was off by a couple years. The beard made me think your couple years older. So yeah. he knows about 2008 because he studied. He didn't he didn't sit work at the fertilizer desk at uh, a commodity company in 2008. So 2008, what was the impetus for all those run-ups? A lot of it was just demand driven. Um, the market was just, hey, we want to buy, we want to buy now. Um, it wasn't supply driven like we are seeing in this this past run up over the past year and a half, two years. That was just purely demand. The market was saying we want to buy, and uh, the retailers and the wholesalers and all the middlemen said, "Sure, we'll sell it to you. We're traders. It's what we do." Okay, so Lee, from your perspective, the reason we went crazy on fertilizer prices in 0809 was because we seven dollar corn because uh, uh, more, more acres came in, and then those new acres needed. Is it was it a seven dollar, fifteen dollar bean uh, concept that brought those prices up so much? Yeah, things came up uh, rapidly, and then also prices dropped within that year, and inputs did not. And that's the scary scenario is, yes, now you can make the numbers work, but what about when the tide goes out? Yeah. Because that's what's going to happen. It's, it's inevitable. Uh, you know what? I, I, I've been around this game for a long time, and I remember when that 08-09 time was going on, and I was speaking at a conference for like the young farmers and ranchers or whatever, the Farm Bureau thing, and an older person meeting uh, somebody like Lee and I's age said, uh, you know, the thing is there's a bunch of young folks near that think that this is how it's always going to be <laughs> because, you know, it was just $7 corn and, you know, yeah, you know, yeah, son, go buy a new truck. I mean, there was just, there was a lot of money falling off the trees around uh, a certain time there. And, and obviously it's not always that way. As you said, the tide goes out. What should we people be doing, Brian? What should we, what should we be doing at the farm level? Okay. You are saying, admitting that yes, a little time of crisis, everybody that's in business is going to say, I can throw an extra few percent on here and, and make more money. That's happening. We get that. Um, but you start telling even every farmer that listens to this is business minded enough. To say, okay, I get it. Everybody's going to make money off of me. And just like, I'm trying to make money also with businesses, but what if I can't get the stuff that's that starts to scare people. Then it becomes like, shit. <laughs> it's one thing to say we're paying more, but right now they don't have fuel in parts of Europe and they don't have uh, heating oil in Ukraine. What if we don't have fertilizer? You don't think it's going to happen, but you know what? There's some fear in the marketplace. Take me to fall and talk to me about what you think preparations should be doing on America's farms. The listeners to Extreme Ag want to know. Yeah. I think, you know, as far as fall fertilizer goes, I think the producer level really needs to start talking with their local retailer supplier. Um, really look at how, how much do you predict you're going to be putting on this fall based on current uh, crop levels, uh, maybe kind of projecting where you think your soil tests are going to be at and really get ahead of the curve. If you get ahead of the curve at the producer level, your retailer is going to feel a lot more comfortable going out and purchasing and making sure he's getting his supply in line for you to have in his warehouse, his sheds for this upcoming fall. Um, now, now by the way, really that's, that's a cool idea, but remember, uh, if they can't get the stuff, I mean, yeah, hey, Lee, I got you covered. I got you covered if I got it, but if it's not off the barge up the Mississippi or not off the train car or whatever that thing is until it's in their inventory, they can promise it, but they can't 
promised delivery until they have the stuff, right? So who gets stuck holding the bag? I mean, the farmer doesn't get the stuff, right? Yeah, and I think too, or it just comes down to that. I mean, obviously the farmer's that user here and they're the ones that are really gonna be um, missing out if it's not available, no doubt. I think it's just coming down to sound business practice of, hey, we have a contract here. We, we gotta be signing contracts. This isn't a handshake, good faith. Uh, let's, let's have some fertilizer ready for me in the fall. No, I, I want to sign that line and say, you're going to have it for me. And I, I think that's where we got to go. Um, of course, uh, if it's not there, it's, it's not there. That's a tough situation. But I think, I think if we get ahead of this curve, we should have a good chance of getting product in place. Lee, I know that you've signed various contracts throughout your career, as have I. You, you know, you live long enough in business, you're going to sign a lot of contracts. You're going to have some people that no matter what the contract says, they still screw you. And then you go about suing them and doing whatever. We've all had that. But you know what happened to me starting two years ago? Something I had never really experienced. I knew the term force majeure, meaning <laughs> our hands are tied. Yeah, we'd, we'd like to do business. We can't. The government shut the economy down. I had to deal with that dozens of times, contracts that I had for certain things. Do you think that a contract to have the fertilizer really is going to matter? And are we going to get force majeure to come six to 12 months from now? I want Lee's perspective from the farm level. I have heard the term force majeure more times in the last even 12 months than I have <laughs> 20 years. Yeah. And there is just so many variables going on. And uh, also there are retailers that won't write contracts. Uh, even with our extreme ag group, uh, we were able to secure fertilizer early, got a firm contract and it was guaranteed. And we had a, a long running relationship with the supplier. Other members in our group, they would go to the retailers like, we're not writing you a contract. We're not, we're not gonna take the chance because they don't want a force majeure or the barges can't get unloaded or it's stuck in the Ukraine. They don't want, they don't want to get burned on that. They won't even write a contract. Uh, we're also into that era. There's less contracts being written than there has been. Brian, um, I talked to an agricultural expert friend of mine yesterday, and this is anecdotal, meaning I didn't see any confirmed report but if he's telling me this he saw a confirmed report so i believe it must be accurate yara one of the world's big three fertilizer producers correct yeah they're a large player no doubt yeah and been a client of mine i mean i got nothing bad to say about him but um my friend said well uh yara has uh contracts for a certain amount of natural gas and those contracts are worth more, meaning they can 10 times what their cost of natural gas is by just selling the natural gas for its current market price in Europe versus using that natural gas to make fertilizer. So I, I didn't see the, the article, but obviously you guys are both nodding your head. And again, dear listener, we're recording this in mid-April of 2022. This might all change by the time you're listening, but if that is accurate, if I'm the business owner, or I'm sorry, the CEO of a publicly traded company, I believe Yara is, even if I'm not, I have to report to owners and I'm responsible for making a return. Oh, wait, I have this natural gas at my disposal. I can 10 times it, 10 times it by just passing it along to the market for natural gas, or I can bring it into my facility, make a whole bunch of noise and produce fertilizer and make about three times on that. I'm going to take the 10 times. 
isn't that what's going to happen? You know, I th- we, we've seen a similar situation, uh, was it two years ago, uh, back when we had that cold snap. Uh, municipalities were paying more for natural gas. So when that cold snap spanned from all the way from the northern U.S. all the way down to the panhandles of Texas and Oklahoma, we were seeing fertilized producers sell their gas allotments for um, hefty premiums. I, I think we'll see some of that, you know, again, just because, like you said, they have investors, they have shareholders, and they want to see results and profits. But at the same time, I don't think they want to shut down those plants. Uh, that's where you risk, hey, I shut down this plant or I, I go to idle mode. Do I get this thing up and running when this price stabilizes? That I think that's a big risk as well that they go away, but I don't think they'll sell 100% of that gas allotment to the open market. Yeah, so it's the old thing of um, we're going to sell some of our natural gas, but we also got to keep the pipeline going. We got to keep our facility running. Otherwise, we're we're not in the fertilizer business. We're in the natural gas trading business, and that's not what Yara does. That's what StoneX does. You're the commodity trading people here. Um, but that's going to limit supply by quite a bit. If they just do half of their natural gas, and then that cuts back fertilizer production. So what is Stonex seeing on supply based on the natural gas, the fossil fuel availability? Right now, uh, natural gas, especially from a European standpoint, is is very concerning. Just where that supply is coming from, it's coming from Russia. Um, that, that's a concerning thing that we're looking at, uh, no doubt. I think we're seeing some more U.S. product trying to go and uh, fill those needs uh, in Europe. So the market, if this is an opportunity, the, the trader is going to find that arbitrage and they're going to move the gas where it needs to go um, for a price as far as availability and uh, production goes. I still think the fertilizer producers in the end game, they're going to want to produce fertilizer. Could be just youthful idealism there, Lee, <laughs> with our friend Brian. What's your take? Well, uh, We've seen it before where companies, yeah, they'll go and they'll they'll take the big money and uh, tighten up supply. And then uh, when things loosen up and get better, they're the first ones come knocking on your door going, hey, you want to come back and do business with us? You know, remember the good days? And it's like you mentioned the, the one rough year when they wasn't there for you and they don't like to talk about that. Usually the response is, is responsibility to shareholders and uh, on the corporate level. Where in our farm, we have a responsibility to our family. So we're at the driving force of this, being a producer, we had everybody that we deal with in the corporate side is responsibility to shareholders. They want to make the best return they can, and that will affect supply because we've seen it happen before. And there's a little wetting of the beak, as you say, in the marketplace too. I mean, with the network that I work with, uh, it's surprising all the variability in prices on chemistry and fertilizer. 20, 30% swings are nothing for the same item. So, and it's not transportation related. So, there's a lot of things at play when it comes to pricing. Do you think on pricing, Lee, we get to a situation? Because I was asked this, I was just recorded today. I just was on Cheddar News this morning talking about fertilizer, and they just wondered if it was going to force force farms to go green. I said, well, that's a neat concept. It's kind of like uh, a neat thing for a suburbanite to say, oh, well, they're just going to stop using these synthetic fertilizers. Okay, well, you decide who's going to not eat. I mean, that's kind of the, the reality there. 
But are there practices that are going to get a shot in the arm? I mean, we're already, I think, pretty darn judicious about how we use our fertilizer. There was a time when be nilly willy. What the hell? It don't cost much. Fling it out there. We're pretty judicious now because, as Brian says, these prices are up double from a year ago, four times from two, three years ago. Are there practices we can do to squeeze more? Can we can we do with less? Is there something that uh, is going to happen in the next two years that's really going to be a result of this necessity, the mother of invention? We're going to come up with a couple of new concepts. What do you see at the farm level? And then from the 30,000 feet, Brian, Lee, go first. Uh, on the farm side, a lot of those practices we are already doing. I mean, there are various types of stabilizers. Uh, there is split application that we've been doing to maximize uh, our because fertilizer is number two after land, it's fertilizer. Yeah, so your split application, basically you're saying, we used to just go and fling it all out there at once. Well, then you get degradation of the actual resource. So if you split the application, you're getting uh, more, it's kind of like eating four meals a day versus all at once. Is that the idea? Or the spoon feeding approach. Uh, also uh, utilizing biological products that help uh, solubilize nutrients. Uh, there's things that you can do and we've already been doing those things in our operation, but there's no one thing or a combination of things where you can say, hey, we can cut 40% and it's gonna be the same. It doesn't work that way. We can max, we've been maximizing our expenses for years and we're gonna keep doing that, but you can only squeeze that turnip so hard. Yeah, it, it's, 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 you can't go without, at least not right now. And, and there's some, uh, something down the road, Brian, your thoughts. Yeah. I, I just think kind of looking at, at the farm gate perspective, as Lee said, um, I think we're just going to see more producers taking up uh, the idea of maybe variable rate. How, how much fertilizer, how little fertilizer can I utilize to uh, produce the same crop that I, I've been producing. I think we're going to see those those thoughts and practices just get adopted even more here. Uh, you Lee, can't just cut back though without seeing production. Lee, do you see acres? If we're still in this fix six and twelve months from now, and I think we will be, and I actually am a little more alarmed than than Brian. Or Brian sits there computer screen, cushy office. He doesn't see any problems. You know, guys like you are out here getting our hands dirty. I see some problems six and 12 months from now. Do acres go untreated? And do we start to have a degradation of the, of the land resource 12 months from now because acres go untreated or, or worse yet in more marginal areas go unfarmed? Uh, say, you know what? This only works with proper fertilization. We're going to set some land. We see idling. I see uh, guys starting to really cutting back in P and K because the availability of per year is so much less than that. They'll focus more on their urea, their their liquid 28. Uh, they'll look at that, trying to get the most bang for their buck, uh, run the absolute minimum of units they can to try to get by. I mean, uh, you're going to see some mining of some fields. Uh, on the fertility side, you're going to see some cutbacks, but the big thing is you just got, you got to crunch the numbers, you know, uh, input output. We've got to manage both sides. What about the fact that then if you're getting less yield, I, I see another thing that is really concerning to me. And I spoke about today on cheddar news. I said, well, what if then you're getting less, less uh, bang because you, you don't have fertilizer availability. So then you go and grab marginal acres that were put into conservation 
and start uh, using those acres again. So now we bring in to keep our annual output up, we're bringing acres into the fold that we kind of had set aside for a reason. Uh, that's usually not good for the environment. Do you see any of that happening? Yeah, you know, they talked about releasing uh, a lot more CRP acres, but there's reason it's in CRP. They're subpar. They're, they're not actually going to contribute or build the national average. They're, there's going to be a yield drag there. They might and, bring up, they might give you some bushels, but sure as hell isn't going to help the national average per acre because, like you said, they were marginal acres. That's where they got stuck in the programs, anyhow. Yeah, exactly. It's not, I don't feel that's going to be the answer. I don't, I mean, yeah, all this is concerning, but it's not time to freak out like, oh, we've got to break all the CRP or, oh, we got to go do all this. We've got to feed the world. It's still your business acumen and focus on your fundamentals. Uh, crunch the numbers. Yeah. And then my uh, last topic here. It seems that once everybody's, remember, everybody was all about environmentalism in Europe. And then when it, they couldn't heat their home, uh, they said, oh, wait a minute, man, get us some of that natural gas. I'm freezing. Everybody becomes a tremendously amount more, um, tremendous amount more pragmatic, Brian, when faced with uh, <laughs> faced with a stark reality. When it's I'm going to shiver or I'm going to starve. By God, they change their tune pretty quickly. Are we going to become more of a producer of? And you sit in on the calls. Are U.S. producers going to be allowed to? Or are we going to have the um, environmental rollback that will allow us? Will we all of a sudden become a major producer of fertilizer here in North America, um, more so than we have been out of all this? You know, there's definitely been some talks um, just with more of a price, a price point. Uh, how can we stabilize that price? There's been some, some chatter about maybe building our production facility um, or some production facilities coming online. But realistically, that's a that's a mindset right now uh, to see a new plant that's five, six years down the road at the earliest that we could even see any production from that. I think it's something that's on the back of people's minds, but I don't really see us expanding a ton right now. I think we'll just really look at maximizing the plants that we currently have. Since you're at the trading desk and you're the fertilizer expert, roughly how much of the, using the big macronutrients, N, P, and K, how much of it does come from domestic sources in the United States and how much of it comes from international markets? Is, are we, do we produce one fourth of all that we need? Do we produce one third, one half? Do you have a good rough number? Yeah, we're, we're probably closer to, on the nitrogen side of things, you know, over half um, phosphate saw. 85% imported, 90% imported, but most of that import is coming from Canada. Uh, phosphates, right now we tried to go more towards 100% uh, of U.S. phosphates production and going to domestic use, but right now that's, you know, maybe maybe 50% max. All right, so nitrogen, you say that the United States produces about how much of the nitrogen that we need across yeah, all probably. things, urea and hydrous, all the, all the goodies, which... Yeah, you know, probably like 60 to 70 percent. You know, I could drill down the number a little more. No, that's good. I, I don't want the rough approximation. You think 80 percent of the P comes from uh, global markets, mostly Canada, but also obviously what's going on in Black Sea region and then of the potassium? Potassium. Oh, so the potassium was, you know, 80, 90 percent Canadian uh, with some mixed in from Russia, Belarus. So we, we produce almost no K in the United States. Correct. You know, there's a few plants out west, um, but not a ton in the grand scheme of things. So this this is what we call a bookend. 
beginning of the show, you said that P and K were going to be the problem six to 12 months from now, not so much nitrogen. And now I brought you back to, I think we just discovered why almost no potassium is produced domestically. 80% of the P comes uh, from imported uh, from other countries, but we are okay because we produce about two thirds of the nitrogen that we need is using your numbers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We'll kind of there's a lot more nitrogen production here, a lot more nitrogen stability. And I'm not going to hold you exactly within a within a within a truckload of that. I just wanted good approximations. Last question for Lee: Are you going to build your own fertilizer warehouse to insulate yourself against problems like this? If six months from now we're still having this conversation, are you going to say? You know what? I've got a lot of acres. I uh, I look at this as a is like you said the number two expense behind the real estate. Is it time to build out your own fertilizer warehouse, Lee? Uh, I know some farmers that have done it. Uh, we have started looking at it on the numbers side. Uh, we also have the option already. It's already built. We've been using them. Is uh, for our soybean and wheat starter. Uh, we have a long row of. Uh, epoxy coated uh, metal bins that you can store seed or fertilizer in. So we could uh, buy more bins if they're available and put seed wheat in, build another row. And we would actually have enough right now. If we filled everything up, we would cover probably three fourths of our needs for the year. Okay. You're considering it. How, tell me where you are to consider, you know, I'm considering becoming an astronaut. And that's like, after I drink six Coors banquets, and then you say, what's something crazy you want to do? Okay. 1% of me thinks it might be cool to fly in space. That's considering it. But then there's the other thing I'm considering. I'm considering an actual business venture. And I'm like, yeah, I'm probably going to do this. Where are you on the consideration? Are you astronaut or probably going to do it? Uh, astronaut stage. I mean, uh, <laughs> we're, we're looking at it. Uh, actually, part of the the big factor right now is is yes, there's fertilizer. Most of us committed for this spring. Nobody's really like we said. We can go to large retailers, you know, and say, "Hey, we need this many tons." They're gonna go. You're not getting it right now. Yeah. Uh, they, I I've already talked to them. They will not give us product to build for 23 so we can be pretty nimble on our feet adding more bins and because uh, we know some people and uh, but I think we're two to three months from kind of knowing whether we're going from dreaming like an astronaut or actually landing on the moon but you might but you might put in just a you might keep bumping up ability to warehouse some fertilizer like maybe not full tilt everything you need but you're going to probably add a little bit of capacity to have a little bit more on hand yeah yep and then we're also going to crunch the numbers i mean uh in hydrus doesn't really have a place in our area there's nobody with large storage nobody with applicators there's no infrastructure for it in our region uh, so we don't really consider that source as something to look at. And that's been like the highest of anything right now for a source of uh, nitrogen. And then traditionally 28% liquid is higher than the dry. Mm -hmm. So, but then we're going to look at if we get pushed into a corner, what can we source? Mm -hmm. you'll, you'll, you'll use it. What you'll use, whatever you can get your hands on. If we get pushed into that, are we going to be stream barring our wheat and, uh, laying down some 28 and burn downs. We don't know yet. Uh, the world uh, the world could push us to do something that we haven't done before. Lee, we've all been there two years ago. Nobody really wanted generic Kroger brand toilet paper. But when you went to the store 
And all of a sudden, that's all that was on the shelf. And you almost had to fight some old woman to get your eight pack of that. I mean, let's face it, we've all been there. Brian, closing thoughts. We've talked a lot about this because I think it's a tremendously important issue. And it's been all over the news for the last year. We're talking looking ahead, though. Last thoughts looking ahead, Brian. Fertilizer. From the, from the commodity trading fertilizer desk that you operate, what do I need to know? What's the last yeah. thing I need to know? I think it's just really looking at planning ahead, you knowing, and I think Lee said it well uh, many times, just know your numbers. So if you kind of know your numbers, you got to start projecting what you're going to be needing. And if that means you have to buy a little, a little earlier than you typically do buy, if you're worried about supply, then I think that's the route you need to go. Um, overall, I think uh, phosphates and uh, potassium, they have some legs underneath them. I think we can see some higher prices nitrogen wise. I think we have some time to wait if we're looking for next season. I see some softness available uh, potentially this summer to look at opportunities there to buy. You're not concerned. You just, you, just, you know, I want to I wanna pull the panic button and you just refuse to allow it. You keep saying, oh, there's going to be, you know, softness. I mean, I mean, you just, you just won't, you just won't go down the panic route, will you, Brian? Uh, that's just, that's just my nature. You know, I, I don't want to, don't want to get uh, too, too caught up in that kind of thought. Come back in six months and do this again because we might have a tremendously different situation based on Ukraine, Russia, global markets, and the fact that all of a sudden, what if some other production halt happens? What if uh, what if Yara does just sell all their natural gas instead of making a fertilizer? You come back in six months and and see how right we were this time. Yeah, I would, I would look forward to it. It's like bringing the weatherman back, Lee, and saying, you know what, you told us the weather was going to do this, and it didn't happen. You think he'll really come back and admit if he was wrong? Uh, he looks like the brave. <laughs> All right. My name is Damian Mason. We've got Brian Bednarik with uh, StoneX Financial. He's a risk management associate specializing in, in fertilizer. If you want to find him, go to StoneX. Is that what the website is? How do they find you? Yep. www.stonex.com. And I'm based out of the Minneapolis office. You can, uh, if you want to give me a call, just give me a call 952-852-2902 and we can chat about the fertilizer markets. And you know what? I've talked enough about fertilizer so far. I probably won't be calling anytime soon, but I, I do appreciate <laughs> you being a resource. Lee Lubers is the other guy on here. He's out of Gregory, South Dakota. He's one of the founding members of Extreme Ag and he's got great content. If you want to see more from Lee about all kinds of things from the Fint planter that we saw at Commodity Classic to his no-till concept of all of his acres, except for just a couple, don't even get tilled because he says it saves land, it saves manpower, and obviously fuel when fuel is expensive as this year. So he's got some great stuff. You can go back in the archives, go to extremeag.farm. Till next time, this is Cutting the Curve. Thanks for being here. That's a wrap for this episode of Cutting the Curve, but there's plenty more. Check out extremeag.farm, where you can find past episodes, instructional videos, and articles to help you squeeze more profit out of your farm. Cutting the Curve is brought to you by Advanced Drainage Systems, the leader in agriculture water management solutions.